Well, thank you so much, Nick. Hate to disappoint you, but I'm not a Patriots fan, as it, as it turns out. <clears throat> no, no, we Australians, we're a perverse bunch in Australia. We love underdogs. We celebrate defeat. Uh, our national day, Anzac Day, uh, is a celebration of our greatest military disaster. That's what Australians are like. Uh, that's why I'm a Vikings fan. <laughs> and my second favourite team is the Browns. So... Um, <laughs> So that's the kind of team I really like to get behind. Look, it's, it's wonderful to be here um, in Ohio with you again. Um, when my friends in Australia heard I was going to the States for, quite a, for a few weeks, they said, wow, that's amazing. Where are you going? Are you going to LA? Are you going to New York? Are you going to Miami? I said, no, I'm going to Ohio. And there was kind of silence. And they said, well, why are you doing that? And I said, it's because Old North Church is in Ohio. That's why. Uh, that's why I love coming to Ohio. I love being here with you people. Um, we always get such a warm and loving welcome here at Old North. Um, it's a terrific place to return to. And thank you again uh, for all your care and kindness to us and my wife, Alison, while we've been here. Um, if you're new this morning, though, like me, a bit new here uh, in church, apologies that you've been lumbered with the Australian as your, as your preacher today. Apologies, especially if you can't understand some of the things I'm saying. So I've come to terms with the fact that I am the person in the room with the accent. It's taken me a little while to come to terms with that. Um, up to this point, I've assumed you're the ones with the accent, but I understand it's me. And you may not understand everything I say or some of the words I use, because we use words in Australia a little bit differently from you guys in some areas. Uh, for example, the word jelly. I was discussing with someone the other night the possibility of making a jelly sandwich. They talked to me about a jelly sandwich. That sounds very strange to me. Um, in Australia, the word jelly means jello, what you would call jello. You know, the, the wobbly stuff you make for dessert that's sitting in the plate. A jelly sandwich sounds like a very weird idea to me. I just can't see how that would work. It would all squish out all its sides. And then... <laughs> Definitely not. If you said jam sandwich, I'd understand that. That's what we call jelly. But it can also get you into trouble. I've discovered, for example, that the word thong, which is a very innocent and nice word in Australia, referring to um, an item of footwear, flip-flops, I think you call them. We call thongs. But I understand it has a slightly less savoury meaning here <laughs> in the US, um, such that if I was to say to you, why don't we head down to the beach? I'm planning to wear my best pair of thongs. You, you'd, you'd say, I'm not going with that guy anywhere. But that's what words are like, aren't they? They shift and they change in meaning. They mean different things in different places. And lots of Christian words are like that too. Words that we use today all the time in different ways as Christians, which mean something different from what they meant 50, 100, 200 years ago, let alone sometimes what they actually mean in the Bible. And this can lead us to confusion, and it sometimes leads us to miss out on what God is actually saying in a particular Bible passage, because we assume we know what the word means, we think it means what we use it to mean, when in fact it means something else. And we're going to discover that in the psalm we, we're going to look at this morning, because it's all about the word praise. Praise is one of those words that Christians use today in a slightly different way, a quite different way from how the Bible uses the word praise. If I was to say to you, let's praise the Lord, we're going to have a time in the next couple of minutes when we're going to praise the Lord, you would assume that the musicians were about to file back up on stage and we were going to start singing, right? Because that's what the word praise means in modern Christian parlance. It means to sing a song in church to God. 
And there's a story about how the word praise came to mean that in our circles, a story that has a complicated history. It has something to do with the rise of the charismatic movement in the last 50 years or so in the, in the Christian West, um, and the enormous influence of the charismatic or neo-Pentecostal movement on how we sing and how we, we sing, have music in church. That influence has had some good things to it, some not so good things to it, but one of the upshots of, of that influence uh, is that we use the word praise and also the word worship, incidentally, mainly to mean what we do when we sing and the band stripes, strikes up. And so for us, and like most churches around the world, this means that we've really lost touch with what the word praise and the concept of praise really is. And that's why Psalm 66 has something to teach us this morning, because it's going to teach us what true praise really is. And I trust that it will help us not only in our singing, but throughout our Christian lives, because in the Bible and in the Psalms, praise is not just for church and for singing, it's a massive and universal practice. So Psalm 66, it tells us what praise really is, and so we should start by reading it, shouldn't we? Let's read Psalm 66, and I'll be referring to it as I go through uh, our message this morning, so if you can have it open uh, on the Bibles in the pew in front of you, or on your iPhone, or however you like to read your Bible, uh, that would be great. Let's look at Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This psalm starts, as many of the psalms do of course, with a call to praise. And as so often in psalms, it's a call not just for Israel to praise, it's actually a call for all the nations and peoples of the earth to praise. Shout for joy to God, all the earth, is the first line of the psalm. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you and sings praises to your name. Now, if you're paying attention, this should immediately tip you off that praise here is a little bit different from how we think about it. 
because it's not happening in church. The praise that he's talking about happens out there, beyond the walls of the temple, beyond, in fact, the borders of Israel, in the nations and countries of the world. And this is quite typical of the psalm. They're constantly, the psalms are constantly calling on the whole earth to praise the God of Israel. But what are they calling on the earth to do? What actually is praise? What is it exactly that the psalmist is asking the world to do? Well, the psalmist doesn't make the mistake that we often make today, and that is to confuse the call or instruction to praise with praise itself. You see, the call for the earth to praise the Lord is just that. It's a command, it's an imperative, it's an instruction. He's saying, you nations, praise the Lord. I want you to praise the God of Israel. It's an imperative. It's like saying, pass the salt. If I say to you, pass the salt, I haven't passed the salt. I've in fact asked you to pass the salt to me. And the words, praise the Lord, are the same. They're a command. And we often mix this up. In modern Christian talk, in my experience, the way that people think you praise the Lord is by saying, praise the Lord, or I will praise the Lord, or let us praise the Lord, or if we want to do it in Hebrew, hallelujah, 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 let us praise the Lord. Now you could have a Christian song that consisted entirely of that, and many Christian songs these days kind of do, and you wouldn't have, have actually got to the praising of the Lord yet. All you've done is tell one another to do it. It's like just saying, pass the salt repeatedly around the dinner table and no one ever actually passes the salt. But that's how the language has kind of come to be used, isn't it, these days? That to say praise the Lord is to praise the Lord. Well, it's not. It's just a call to do so. Well, what's the next thing to happen? When the other shoe falls and the praise actually starts to take place, what is it? Well, you see it there in verse three. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. That's praise in a nutshell. Praise is the declaration or proclamation or telling forth of how great someone is, how excellent they are, by advertising what they've done, by talking about their amazing achievements and feats. And it's very like the English word praise in that sense. If I was going to praise you, I would tell you what a great job you did, how excellent your character is, how much I enjoy being with you because of these characteristics, one, two, and three. It's to brag or boast about someone. It's to advertise. Now, far be it from me to associate advertising with what we do in church, but praise actually is like advertising. It's enunciating the features and benefits of this person or thing so that their reputation and honor and fame increases. That's what advertising is, right? That's really what praise is. Now, this wonderful advertising of how great God is and all that he's done can be addressed to him or about him in the third person. It would be much the same as if um, I wanted to praise Pastor Nick this morning and, and expatiate on his great taste in football teams, um, his many skills, his golf game, his excellent preaching. I could get him up the front and, and tell him that to his face, and that would, um, that would increase his fame and reputation more, among some of you perhaps, if I, if I praised him in that fashion, or I could do it about him. I could tell you how great Pastor Nick is and all the great things he has done. And it's the same with praising God. Whether you say it to God or say it about God to each other, it's praise. It's the declaration or confession of how great God is. 
So let me say it again so you've got it clear. The essence of praise is the verbal recounting of how great God is on account of his amazing deeds. That's what praise really is. And the result is that his fame and reputation and honor increases. Now, depending on the person you're praising, depending on who it is you're praising and how great they are, you might get emotional about it. Um, If I was going to get Pastor Nick up here to praise him, to be honest, I wouldn't get that emotional about it. I, I wouldn't be, I'd be mildly enthusiastic at best, you could say, if I was going to get Pastor Nick up and sing his praises or even speak his praises. If I was going to praise, however, my new little granddaughters, Ruby and Hannah, and tell you how gorgeous they are, how delightful they are, how they're the two, objectively speaking, and I'm speaking objectively, they are the two most gorgeous granddaughters in the world. Now, I know you, you people have nice granddaughters, they're not a patch on, on Ruby and Hannah. Now, I would get quite enthusiastic in praising them. I might even break into song, which would be to your horror, but I, I, I get very, very enthusiastic about them because they matter so much. They matter so much to me and they're so wonderful. And it's the same with God. The reason emotion and song and celebration and shouting often accompanies praise in the Psalms is because of the object of the praise. The celebration, the symbols, the music, the dancing, the jumping up and down, that's not the praise. The praise is the recounting of how great this God is. But because of how great he is, very often we can't help ourselves but celebrate that joyfully and proclaim it with enthusiasm and gladness because this God is so great. Well, that's what praise is and that's why it's often in the Bible and often in our midst something we do with some enthusiasm and joy. But what is the content? What is it that the psalmist wants to declare and proclaim and celebrate about God? Well, you see that in verses five following when he goes on to the content of the praise that he wants the nations to tell forth. And interestingly, he wants the nations to tell forth how great and good God is, not for what he's done for the nations, although God has done things for them, in creation and providence. He wants them to proclaim what God has done for Israel, which is a bit odd. And you see that in verses five to seven. He says to the nations, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot, There did we rejoice in him. He's talking about the Exodus, of course, when Israel passed through the waters on foot in God's great, mighty salvation, the classic salvation event in the Old Testament. And so there did we rejoice in him who rules by his might, verse seven, whose eyes keep watch on the nations, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. He wants the nations to come and see what God has done for Israel and to say how great God is for doing so. Come and see the Exodus, he says. It was the time of our great victory. It was the time when God not only subdued the sea, he subdued Egypt. He subdued the Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world at that time. So you nations, you come and remember that and proclaim that because just as he ruled over Pharaoh and over Egypt, so also he will rule over you. So do not be rebellious against him. But of course, it's not only the nations who are rebellious against God, it's also his own people, Israel. And that's what the psalmist goes on to celebrate in the next few verses. 
how God has been gracious and kind to Israel even though they have been rebellious. Verse eight, bless our God, O peoples. He's still talking to the nations. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our foot slip. That's Israel's foot, our foot slip. For you, O God, tested us. You tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, and yet you have brought us out into a place of abundance. Here is another quite awesome thing, says the psalmist, that through all the trials and difficulties of Israel, God has not abandoned them or let their foot slip. He's actually brought them through those trials into abundance. And these images here, the net, the silver being refined, the the burden that is crushing, the fire and water, these are classic Old Testament images of trial and tribulation, of what happens to people when they sin and rebel against God and suffer the judgment of God. And this is what God has done indeed with Israel, that despite her long and rebellious history against him, and despite all the tribulations that resulted and that they went through, He brought them through to abundance and liberty and blessing. And this is a matter of public record, says the psalmist. This really happened. You nations know that it's happened and so you should praise God for it. You should recount and rehearse and declare how great God is because he has done all this for Israel. Does all this strike you as a bit strange? That is where the praise of God is happening in this psalm. We would think the praise should happen primarily in church, or perhaps if it's the Old Testament, in the temple. But the where of praise in this passage is the nations. The psalmist is calling on all the unwashed out there to advertise how great God is because of his goodness to Israel. Does that seem strange to you? Perhaps it's because our vision of praise is too small. The psalmist wants this sort of praise to happen in all the nations all over the world because God, the God of Israel, is the God of all the world. He wants the fame and reputation of God, the one true God, to resound everywhere, not just in Israel and not just in the temple, but out there and everywhere. And in the big story of the Bible, that's what God's purpose is, of course. God's purpose in saving Israel in promising the great promise to Abraham and through that, fulfilling that promise, bringing Israel to the promised land and establishing Israel as a nation. His whole purpose in doing that was in fact to reach the world for the offspring of Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And that's Israel's vocation in the Old Testament, to be the chosen people through whom God brings blessing to the world, to be a nation or a kingdom of priests who bring God and represent God among the nations of the world. But of course, Israel's history is a sad failure in that vocation, a dramatic failure, of course. Time after time, rather than being a source of of blessing and an object of praise, like a representative of how great God is, they're just the opposite. They're a cause of blasphemy amongst the nations. The nations look at Israel at their failure and sin and the judgment that falls on them and says, whoever is the God of that nation is a loser. Because look, they're in trouble, they're defeated, they're hopeless, again. Israel, in fact, sadly, was a cause not of God's praise among the nations, but of blasphemy and derision among the nations. 
And it's only, of course, with the coming of the Lord Jesus that all that turns around so dramatically and so wonderfully. Because through what the Lord Jesus does on the cross and in his resurrection, he gathers together a new people of God, a people of God washed clean, a people of God reconstituted, a people of God who are once, finally, now, a holy nation who stand for God in the world and declare his praises. That's what it says in 1 Peter 2. Wonderful passage. Go and look at this later if you, if you get the time. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says that you are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim his excellencies or his praises. Same word. The, one, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you have. In the New Testament, we see this wonderful thing happening. What the psalmist dreamed of and could only dream of, that one day the nations would actually declare the greatness of God. Because friends, who are we sitting here in Ohio all these centuries later? a bunch of Americans and Australians from who knows how many nations of the earth sitting here amongst uh, this congregation today. And yet here we are, openly standing and confessing and testifying how great is the God of Israel who has saved the world through the Lord Jesus Christ, praising this God, in other words. That the mighty and awesome salvation of God in Christ be declared around the world, that all nations would turn back before him and put their trust in him and confess, yes, this is a great God who has done great things. That's the eternal purpose of God, friends, in Jesus Christ. That's the whole plan of God in Christ. And in this sense, praise, the declaration and confession of how great God is and what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ, praise is really central to God's purposes and central to the Christian life. It's not really so different from what we would call witness or testimony or evangelism. It's the telling forth of how great God is and what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever way we might find ourselves doing, whether here in church with one another, whether at our dinner tables or in our families, whether to our neighbours over the back fence, whether in our communities, to declare this praise, to testify to his greatness and goodness and his awesome deeds is really the purpose for which God has brought us to himself. Perhaps you can see that in this sense, praise in the Bible is a much, much bigger vision than singing Christian power ballads with Christian lyrics in church. Praise is an awesome and wonderful, magnificent thing. Of course, it does have a connection with church, with declaring God's mighty deeds to one another. And in fact, that's how the psalm moves on in the second half of the psalm because there's a shift in verse 13. In the first half of the psalm, he's been talking to the nations, and the second part of the psalm, he draws in and talks personally about what God has done for him personally, for his soul. I mean, read this with me in, in verse 13. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. He's talking about the response he's going to make, a ritual, sacrificial response of thanks for what God has done for him. But there's also a verbal response to what God has done for him. Look at verse 16. Come and hear, all of you who fear God, 
and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried out to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Our time is getting short, but let me just point out that here, the psalmist not only makes that ritual response of sacrifice, but a verbal testimony to what God has done. He advertises to people around him. He says, come here, come here, let me tell you. Let me tell you what God has done. And he recounts and rehearses and celebrates and and wonders in and enthuses about all that God has done for him, the great God who saves and rescues. He gathers the people around and praises God before them. He advertises how great this God is. And this, friends, should also be a regular part of our fellowship with one another, to share with one another how great God is, what he has done for us in, our, in the Lord Jesus Christ, how he has rescued and redeemed us, how he's liberated us from so many things that held us captive, how he has changed our lives, how he continues to change our lives, how he answers our prayers, how he cares and protects, protects us, how he's with us in trouble and sorrow as well as in joy. When we keep advertising to one another this great God and all that he has done, we are increasing the, the honor and reputation and fame of God among one another. We're doing what the New Testament calls on us to do all the time, to encourage one another, to edify one another, to build one another up. And we do that largely by praising, that is by talking about how great God is and what he has done. If you've ever talked to a grandparent, you'll, you'll know how enthusiastic they are and how ready at a moment's notice they are to whip out the iPhone and show you photos of their grandkids. Just talk to my wife afterwards, she'll, she'll have the phone out in five seconds flat. Because you're so enthusiastic, you want and long to talk about this thing you're so excited about and share it with others and share the joy. That's what praise is like within the Christian congregation, the everyday informal conversational praise in which we share and and encourage and edify each other by telling and sharing how great God is and what he's done for us. Well, how should we conclude? What do we conclude about praise this morning? Well, to use an old Christian cliche or to adapt it slightly, I would say to you, praise God at all times and use music if necessary. Because the essence of praise is telling forth or advertising how great God is and what he has done. You can do it with music or you can do it without music. The most important thing is that you do it. And if you are going to do it with music, don't confuse the music and the wonderful band that we have and even the great emotions that that are stirred up as we sing together, don't confuse them with what praise in essence really is. It's the declaration of who God is and how great he is. And really good songs that we sing together do that. They focus on the wonderful works and deeds and character of God. They don't talk so much about us singing. I don't know what it's like here so much in, the, in the Australia, certainly. The trend these days in church is to sing songs about singing or about praising. And so most of the song will be about, I will sing to you, I will praise you, I will worship you, let us praise you, let us exalt you. We're about to do it, I'm waiting for it to happen. We're going to sing, we're seeing the sing, and that's the end of the song, and I'm kind of left hanging, wishing that we would actually get to the praising of God, which is telling how great he is and what he's done. 
The best songs and the ones we sang this morning were great examples, actually talk about how great he is and all the wonderful deeds he's done. But friends, we don't need music to praise God because God's praise should never be far from our lips. It's an essential and basic characteristic really of the Christian life that we declare and testify with thanksgiving what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there may be some of you here this morning, I don't know, many of you here, I don't know where you're up to with the Lord, I don't know what you're, whether you're new here, whether you're searching, or whether you're a long-established Christian, as I look out on, on this wonderful sea of faces. But if this morning that's you, you really don't know if you're a Christian, you don't know if you're right with God, if perhaps you're not ready in your heart to declare how great God is and what he has done for you, because perhaps you're not sure that he has done it for you, and you haven't embraced that in your own life, if, if that's you, then let me encourage you to do something about that this morning. Talk to someone, talk to the person nearby, come and talk to Pastor Nick or one of the other pastors or to me, or maybe pull out that little welcome to old North car that's, that's there in the pews and just jot a note saying, I'd like to talk to someone about this because I realized this morning that if testifying and confessing that Jesus has done this for me, if that's what praise is, it's made me realize I'm not ready to praise God. I don't understand that, I don't grasp it and it's not me. If that's you this morning, then please do something. Write a note on the card, put your, your details there, and just hand it to one of the ushers as you walk out. But for those of you who, like the psalmist, really can testify to what God has done for your soul, let me encourage you to do just that. Tell everybody, tell them any way you can. Keep giving honor and reputation and glory to the God who saved you by declaring and proclaiming and chatting about what he has done, his awesome deeds in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you also want to do that in church, and if you also want to do that to the accompaniment of music, then go for your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your wonderful deeds of salvation for Israel and also for all of us, Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for his death and resurrection for his marvelous power and mighty salvation that came to us when we were your enemies and justified us and redeemed us and brought us back to you. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, that you've poured into our hearts to open our lips and confess that you are Lord and God. And Father, we pray that you would open our lips to do that with each other day to day and here in church, that you'd open our lips with our neighbors and friends in every part of our lives to keep declaring and proclaiming and testifying and praising your great goodness and mercy and love in the Lord Jesus. And all this, Father, we give thanks to you for in his wonderful name. Amen.